Longtime listeners, you know the drill. This episode is part of a much longer series. To be sure you get the whole story, we recommend that you jump back and start from episode one. Also, we want to invite any of our thousands of listeners who still use Facebook to join our friendly show group, which currently only has a couple of hundred fun-loving members. Just search for the show's name. Unbelievably, we have actually reached the end of our QAnon Antecedents series. After 33 episodes, nearly a year and a half, and 277 typed pages of script in my Google Docs. This has been our biggest topic ever. The next one will be even more so. But our analytics tell me that a bunch of you joined during the past 18 months, and if you haven't dived into the older episodes, you've probably never heard us roll credits, which we will at the end of the show. Don't be frightened. Next week, I'll put out the whole series in a few big chunks for our listeners who like one long show instead of a bunch of short ones. I know some of you out there have waited since the beginning of this series to listen to the whole 16-plus-hour thing at once. I see you, you weirdos. Know that I am one of you. After that, we'll have a couple months of archive stuff while we get ready to put out the new material. Please don't be a stranger in the meantime. Email us at theparanoidstrain at gmail.com. Or if you use Facebook, stop by and join the Paranoid Strain group. They're delightful. And don't think I'm forgetting our brilliant Patreon patrons, one of whom we give a little conspiracy theory shout-out prior to each episode. This week's spotlight is one Danny Milne. Milne? Milne? I really don't have a pronunciation guide there, Danny. So, we're going to go with Milne, I guess. A.E. Milne? Invented Winnie the Pooh? I like it. Anyway, Danny Milne firmly believes that this is not, in fact, the last QAnon show. It's a covert white hat op designed so that Trump, with the help of former President Warren G. Harding, who of course never died, that was total disinformation. Anyway, the two of them are going to zipline drop Mission Impossible style into the tomb of Hugo Chavez and find all of the stolen votes in Georgia just in time to save America. So, you know, look forward to that. If you'd like your name or your pseudonym to join the Roll of Honor at the top of a future show, just sign up at patreon.com forward slash the paranoid strain at the $5 tier. We thank you kindly, both for listening and for supporting. Finally, whether you do social media or not, please do drop us a line. Tell us what you think of the show. We're open to suggestions, criticisms, and recipes. Send them all to the paranoid strain, that's all one word, at gmail.com. Okay. Let's get going. Paranoid Strain Orchestra, hit it. But of course, Owen's channel is not the only source where you can mainline that sweet, sweet QA nonsense. My own recent fairly undirected search yielded some real doozies, including the website roserambles.org, where I found a delightful post dated March 39th of this year. Uh, this, uh, this isn't starting off very well, is it? It gets better. In another post, a person who's presumably the site's author describes herself thus. I am Sierra. I'm a galactic ambassador for the light. There are many galactic ambassadors on Earth right now. We came to help humanity ascend to the fifth dimension. Beloved Gaia is already well on her way in her ascension. I will share with you my personal ascension journey 
and my thoughts on global events. Welcome. Where we go one, we go all. Splendid. So what does this very stable genius have to say about the return of the other very stable genius? Let's dive right in. And I've invited our special guest and traditional reader of Q-Drops, Computer Guy, to give this mind-expanding mouthful the reading it deserves. Hi, Jesuit. Dana, looking foxy. Let's get ready to rumble. Nice to see you, CG, but let's lay off the copyrighted phrases. This outfit operates on a shoestring, and I don't need Michael Buffer suing me. Understood. Now what bullshit do you want me to read? Oh, there it is. Ahem. Yes, it's official. President Trump has been indicted. It's official. And it's about to get really good. All I hear is it's go time. There's multiple things that I've shown for nearly seven months that show it's all a part of the operation. There's a storm coming, wait for it. We have it all. We've caught them all. This whole operation has been a joint operation with World Allies to expose the federal corporation of elite judges, lawyers, politicians, governors, attorney generals, etc. Plus war on all kinds of trafficking and exposing stupid wars that the industrial complex TV generals started and didn't have the balls to stand up to rhinos. And a quantum financial system being installed all over the world as the U.S. Treasury Secretary has already made known the U.S. is bankrupt. Beautiful. Can I stop please? I think I had a stroke, which shouldn't even be possible. Yeah, you've done your duty here. Thanks for stopping by. Daisy. Daisy. Give me your answer, do. It is shameful what you do to that poor, innocent computer man. Ah, a couple of reboots and a software update, he'll be right as rain. Back to some contemporary Q stories. Turns out one of the most important QAnon prophets recently met with an untimely end. We have learned the leader of the far-right conspiracy group QAnon has died at the hospital in Rochester. Michael Protzman was the leader of QAnon, and a conspiracy group that organized back in 2017. Now, the Wabasha County Sheriff's Office says Protzman crashed his dirt bike at the Meadow Valley Motocross Track in Millville on June 23rd. The 60-year-old was unconscious but breathing at the time. Protzman was then flown to Mayo Clinic here in Rochester. Now, the Southern Minnesota Regional Medical Examiner's Office says he died on June 30th at St. Mary's from multiple blunt force injuries. Protzman was known to his QAnon followers as negative 48. If the name Michael Protzman rings a bell, it's because he's the Q leader who gathered his flock at Dealey Plaza in 2022 because for sure, no question, JFK Jr. was finally going to prove all of us cynical, he's been dead for like well over two decades naysayers wrong by appearing at the site of his father's supposed murder. Supposed, because JFK Sr. was also scheduled to appear live and in person, having been in hiding since his fake assassination back in 63, apparently. Yes, and Jr. would presumably there declare that he was in fact QAnon and maybe also that he was going to be Donald Trump's running mate. When none of this happened, Vice News notes that Protzman simply shifted the goalposts to other claims, always keeping his followers on the hook for whatever the next big revelation was. Now that he's gone to that big motocross in the sky, who's going to come up with the next wave of completely implausible horse feathers that people can ruin their relationships with friends and family over? Don't worry. Gen Z is on the case. His death created this power vacuum. 
unbeknownst to a lot of these individuals who want to be the new leader, well, before his death, he actually trained a successor. And that individual has since stepped up to take his place and his followers have been receptive to this new leader. And that's troubling because this new leader is literally a 13-year-old girl named Tiny Teflon. And as Vice News reports, Pratsman appears to have groomed the girl as his protege, hosting her on his live chats on Telegram, where he had tens of thousands of followers. As a sign of her growing position within the group, Tiny Teflon was made an administrator of Pratsman's main Telegram channel, though she posted very little over the last six months. However, since his death, the teenager has reemerged as a leading voice in the group. In late July, she showed up at a Trump rally in Erie, Pennsylvania, where she was photographed with multiple members of the JFK group. During one live chat, Tiny Teflon went into more detail about how she would use her position to recruit more children into the cult. Great. So maybe QAnon will someday get its own version of the Children's Crusade? We can only hope, Unicorn. And now, we are at the conclusion of our long series, where we reflect on what we've learned and consider the implications for our shared future. Turning back to our Australian Q observer, Van Batum, I'd like to take a quick moment to disagree with her about one claim she makes regarding Trump and Q. She recalls perhaps the weirdest and most memeable of all of the very strange moments from the virtual Republican convention held during the COVID year of 2020, when Trump's son's girlfriend, Kimberly Guilfoyle, delivered a real something of an endorsement speech highlighted by one loud, very memeable, very awkward phrase. Leaders and fighters for freedom and liberty! dream. The best is yet to come. 2020 Republican Party convention, Kimberly Guilfoyle, the chair of the Trump Victory Finance Committee and girlfriend of Trump's elder son, Donald Trump Jr., gave a rousing speech in front of 12 Golden Eagle-topped American flags, infamously screaming, the best is yet to come. Even if it was a coincidence that Q had posted the same words three times already in 2020, and in all caps, worth noting was that the slogan, again in all caps, was repeated beneath a meme Q posted two weeks before the 2020 election. The image depicted Trump facing the crowds amassed for his 2016 inauguration with the words, we are Q, exclamation mark, above it. Yet Trump insisted he didn't know much about the movement, even as it gained followers, even as its candidates sought office and he endorsed them, even as he stood in front of its placards and T-shirts, even as his closest allies swore oaths to its slogans, even as it marched down streets across the country, even as he shared its tweets, even as his own FBI named it a potential domestic terror threat. As much as I respect many of Ms. Van Batum's conclusions, this one seems off. Yes, Trump uses QAnon when it suits him, but there's no reason to think he has a real understanding of what it is or why Q's followers like him. The only thing that matters is they do like him, not why. Remember his interview responses when asked about these nutbars? They all boil down to, they like me, I like them. It's essentially the same stance he takes with any group, whether it's suburban moms or white supremacists. Van Batum makes the point that Trump retweets and amplifies Q, and suggests that indicates that he cynically knows exactly what he's doing, deliberately inflaming the QAnon believers for his own ends. Again, I respectfully disagree. Trump doesn't know shit about why he's doing what he's doing, except insofar as it might further his only true passions in life, enriching himself or attracting adulation. He shares lots of Q content, 
That's because Q content supports him. Do any of you really think he's ever looked into this movement to discover how fucking crazy it is? You think he's going to seek out podcasts like this that explain why all of it's so weird and false and rooted in earlier weird falsehoods? Of course you don't. Because the core of Trump's most unshakable supporters and the core of Stop the Steal and of QAnon and MAGA and whatever else you want to call this reactionary, kind of populist, anti-modernity movement is, as Van Battam pointed out, a group of people defending what they perceive as a cultural order in which they used to be in the driver's seat. QAnon's fixation on government, the media, and Hollywood as targets could be understood as a fight with the entities with enough power to upend an existing culture in which they perceive themselves as important. In this context, it was possible that feelings of personal precariousness might manifest in anxieties about an entire culture under desperate existential threat. Macaulay's warning was that while neo-Nazis and white nationalists were prepared to attack people of other races to relieve their feelings of grievance, QAnon and other culturalists were prepared to attack government itself. And defending that might be worth attacking the fucking Capitol building if necessary. These are Nixon's silent majority, confronting their deepest fears, an American culture that is moving beyond their concerns and priorities. Plus, Remember, QAnon offered fun puzzles these disaffected people could fret over with all of their new online friends. You know how old people like to do crosswords, right? One of our favorite analogies to this comes from Mike Rothschild's book The Storm Is Upon Us, where he likens the appeal of Q's puzzles to another real-world brain teaser that obsessed those so inclined for decades. Before you chime in to ask how anyone could believe that military intelligence would share their secret operations on 4chan, and later the even more disreputable 8chan, Keep in mind that there is some precedent for the belief that coded messages were being transmitted via modern communication channels. For decades during the Cold War, shortwave radio enthusiasts could tune their dial to frequencies known as numbers stations, semi-secret channels that broadcast long strings of number blocks bracketed by cryptic phrases or bits of music. Only message recipients with a special primer could decode the secrets locked within those numbers. To anyone else, they were nonsense. What's a Q-drop then, if not a 21st century number station? Rothschild also notes that a lot of the Q followers' core beliefs have never actually appeared in the drops. That includes the JFK Jr. stuff. So after all of these hours of examination, we're still left asking if the Q drops and the puzzle solving and the supposed future prophesying and the secret revealing aren't intrinsic to Q's appeal, what is it that makes a seemingly sensible person end up believing this shit? And of course, as QAnon becomes unmoored or even replaced by other Trump-adjacent conspiracies like Stop the Steal in what passes for the mainstream of the conservative movement in 2020's America, we'd like to conclude our long swim through these fetid waters by trying to understand how a conspiracist worldview, one that includes but maybe even goes well beyond QAnon beliefs, can eventually warp anyone who has the right mindset and perhaps the right kind of terrible life experience. So let's take one final look at a fairly extraordinary person, the formerly respected, currently disgraced journalist, Laura Logan, and how she ended up so deeply mired in unreality.
My main source for this is a really fantastic profile from the June 2023 issue of The Atlantic, but there's plenty of evidence of Logan's professional and personal nosedive available all over the internet. Her story begins with a young and ambitious journalist freshly moved from her native South Africa to London, who in the wake of September 11th started bucking for a position reporting on the coming U.S. invasion of Afghanistan. Atlantic staff writer Elena Plot-Calabro explains that Logan's superior saw the potential for cultivating a news star. She is, in addition to her tenacity and ambition, very easy on the eyes, which of course led both colleagues and competitors to some really gross assumptions about how far her considerable physical charms had helped the delectable correspondent in her efforts to secure stories and interviews with key figures. Lest you think the Jesuit has suddenly turned into a gross lecher, those adjectives are directly quoted from an article published by a rival journalist back in 2001. Yeah, not guilty. But I want to make it clear that regardless of whether or not being a fox was helpful to Logan's meteoric rise as a war correspondent, there is also no question that she was very smart, very dedicated to her job, and very, very brave. Arguably too brave, as we will shortly see. Yeah. But mostly her bravery worked for her. She ignored the orders of her CBS superiors and sneaked into Iraq during the shock and awe portion of the invasion of 2003. For a while there, she had the entire city to herself as practically the only Western journalist on scene. By 2006, CBS made her their chief foreign correspondent. Unfortunately, her fearlessness would eventually lead her to Cairo at the apex of the Arab Spring unrest in 2011. Jesuit wants to trigger warning the next 30 seconds or so for those who might be very sensitive to stories of sexual assault. Please feel free to skip forward. Again, ignoring concerns from her colleagues and bosses, she went out to interview protesters in Tahrir Square. It went well at first, but horrifically, she was eventually violated by multiple men as onlookers took photos. The assault was only halted when some local women were able to cover her naked body and hold off the mob until soldiers arrived to remove Logan from the situation. Please understand, I'm not going to suggest that this trauma somehow fueled her descent into madness. As the Atlantic piece noted, she was already showing signs of conspiracist thinking before this happened. But it would certainly be a very normal and human thing to have this kind of horrific trauma at least contribute to a darker perspective that could in turn contribute to a change in worldview. In any case, in the immediate aftermath, Logan's career continued its upward trajectory as she seemingly overcame not only her assault, but a subsequent breast cancer diagnosis to become one of the rising stars of CBS's venerable and highly respected weekly 60 Minutes program. In fact, here she is, upon her return, being interviewed on that very show about what happened to her. Again, this stuff is going to be uncomfortable for some listeners. When we drove from the airport into Cairo that night, moments after Mubarak had stepped down, it was unbelievable. It was like unleashing a champagne cork on Egypt. I'm anxious to get to the square. I got to be there because this is a moment in history that you don't want to miss. She reported without a hint of trouble for more than an hour. And what happened then? Our camera battery went down and we had to stop. I was told later that um, they were saying, let's take her pants off. And it's like suddenly, before I even know what's happening, I feel hands grabbing my breasts, grabbing my crutch, grabbing me from behind. 
coming. It, and it, it's, it's not, you know, one person and then it stops. It's like one person and another person and another person. And I know Ray is right there and he's grabbing at me and screaming, Lara, hold on to me, hold on to me. As she was pulled into the frenzy, the camera recorded her shout. But then her professional life started to unravel. It began in 2013 with her reporting on what at the time was advertised as a bombshell story about Benghazi, related to her by a security contractor who told an 80s action movie story of how he had scaled the walls to break into the U.S. embassy in Libya during the attack that would kill several Americans, including a U.S. diplomat. This tragedy is one of the biggest foreign policy failures of the Obama administration and the term of then-Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, and you probably remember it from the conservatively estimated 300 bajillion congressional hearings the Republicans have had about the incident since it happened. As the Atlantic piece recounts, the security contractor's story fell apart soon after Logan's report. The most damning detail? The interviewee had told both his employer and the FBI that he wasn't even at the compound the night of the attack. 60 Minutes has learned of new information that undercuts its October 27th account of an ex-security officer who called himself Morgan Jones. His real name is Dylan Davies, and he recounted to Lara Logan in great detail, detail what he claimed were his actions on the night of the attack on the Benghazi compound. Lara joins us this morning. Lara, good morning. Good morning, Nora. Well, you know, the most important thing to every person at 60 Minutes is the truth. And today the truth is that we made a mistake. And that's, a, that's very disappointing for any journalist. It's very disappointing for me. Nobody likes to admit that they made a mistake. But if you do, you have to stand up and take responsibility, and you have to say that you were wrong. And in this case, we were wrong. At first, Logan appeared to react to this turn of events with grace, retracting the story and accepting CBS's internal conclusion that the problems with it should have been caught before broadcast, and then taking, along with her producer, an indefinite leave of absence from the show. But during this absence, she seems to have changed her mind, coming to identify with a tale that's well-known in conspiracist circles, and that we might eventually get around to discussing at length. The life of Gary Webb and his 1996 series in the San Jose Mercury newspaper called Dark Alliance. It explored the connections between the CIA, the Nicaraguan Contras, and the U.S. crack epidemic. Calabro explains that Logan saw a film based on Webb's career-defining, and eventually career-ending, article series. While it unearthed real details, much of the reporting in that series was flawed. The Mercury eventually announced that it didn't meet their standards, Webb resigned, and then he died of suicide in 2004. Logan saw a connection with her own story, as the film Kill the Messenger depicted Webb's undoing as coming not from his own failures of reporting, but rather by the jealousies and undue deference to the CIA of his colleagues and bosses. Soon after, she decided that her real sin had not been accepting the self-serving narrative of a shyster but rather that she had dared to criticize the Obama administration. She claimed she had told a story important enough to suppress. In other words, instead of acknowledging her fallibility and occasional lapses of judgment, she instead comforted herself by suggesting the world was against her and that her only sin was speaking truth to power. This new framing set the stage for the very weird conspiracist turn her career has taken since that retraction. When she came back to 60 Minutes in a diminished role in 2015, at first things seemed to be back on track. She continued putting out respected pieces, including at least one award-winning report on Iraqi Christians. But by 2016, she was privately sharing her observation that she would be shocked if Hillary Clinton's operatives weren't behind the 2016 murder of staffer Seth Rich, which at that time was the cause celebre among the conspiracy-friendly right wing. A few years after that, CBS declined to renew her contract. 
Calabro thinks the split with CBS might have been mutual, as Logan seemed by then not so interested in what we might think of as mainstream reporting. As she gradually awakened to the lies of the mainstream media, where was a newly free agent Laura Logan supposed to go? Obviously into the welcoming embrace of Fox News. Correct, Amundo. And that worked out for a while. During the imaginary Trump Stop the Steal campaign, she was right there at the front lines, appearing in a film produced by my pillow owner and full-time screaming weirdo Mike Lindell that's about all of the ballot malfeasance that never happened. But eventually, she started getting too crazy, even for Fox. Specifically, at the height of the pandemic, she appeared on the Judge Janine Pirro show, where she had this to say about the Omicron COVID variant. Judge, if they keep testing for different strains of coronavirus, we're going to be locked down for the rest of our existence. Mm. I am, uh, you know, I had cancer. My oncologist is a specialist in bone cancer. And he, you know, every oncologist who deals with bone cancer identifies hundreds of coronaviruses inside of our bones. They've created a problem that can never actually be solved. So they can justify whatever it is they want to do. And if you look around you, everything is falling apart. Even the, the vote um, audits are going ahead. Durham is moving ahead. Over time, people can see that the vaccines have nothing to do with Trump or left or right. Many black people don't want to get vaccinated. Okay. You cannot justify losing three to 5,000 Border Patrol agents, 12,000 pilots, you know, for something that has the death rate of flu. And even if yep. this is lethal, Americans have the right under the Constitution to their civil liberties, and okay. they can only be suspended temporarily for it to be lawful. This is not lawful. Let me go to Dr. Siegel. I have no real idea what she was blathering about there, but when Judge Janine feels the need to cut off your nonsense monologue, you're truly leaving low Earth orbit. And around the same time, she made this calm, reasonable historical analogy to the actions of Dr. Anthony Fauci. And so in that moment, what you see on Dr. Fauci, this is what people say to me, that he doesn't represent science to them. He represents Joseph Mengele, Dr. Joseph Mengele, uh, the, doc- the Nazi doctor what? who did experiments on Jews during the Second World War and in the concentration camps. And I am talking about people all across the world are saying this because the response from COVID, what it has done to countries everywhere, what it has done to civil liberties, the suicide rates, the poverty, it has obliterated economies, the level of suffering that has been created because of this disease is now being seen in the cold light of day, i.e. the truth. And people see that there's no justification for what is being done. Yeah, she went full Godwin's Law live on Fox, which proved a little too much for even Rupert Murdoch to stomach. And so the network showed her the door. Of course, these days, Fox isn't the end of the line for raving loonies. There's still Newsmax TV, right? And that's precisely where she ended up. Until yet another rant. God believes that in in sovereignty and national identity and the sanctity of family and all the things that we've lived with from the beginning of time. And he knows that the open border is Satan's way of taking control of the world through all of these uh, people who are his stooges and his and his uh, servants. And they may think that they're going to become gods. That's what they tell us. Yuval Noah Harari and and all the rest of them at the World Economic Forum. You know, the ones who want us eating insects, cockroaches and that while they dine. Uh, on the blood of children. (laughs) Those are the people, right? They're not going to win. They're not going to win. Those of you out there who were understandably wondering what exactly going too far would look like for Newsmax, it's Satan worshippers forcing the rest of us to eat cockroaches. If you had that on your bingo card, I don't know. Seek professional help. 
The Atlantic article catches up with what Logan has been doing since even the craziest pseudo-news network in America decided her truths were too hot for their audience to handle. And what she's doing is cruising the right-wing speaking circuit, addressing, for example, the Fredericksburg, Texas chapter of Moms for Liberty to tell them how social media is an outgrowth of the 19th century plans of Karl Marx and his puppet master, Henry Rothschild. Logan still sees herself as a war correspondent, but now she reports on the secret war against all of humanity. Not to mention her own war against common sense. Former colleagues are baffled. The Atlantic piece quotes one of them asking her the following. You know, you're talking about me. You're talking about all these people who worked with you. We're part of some vast left-wing conspiracy? Like, seriously, you believe that? And she was like, no, you don't understand. You may not know you're complicit, but you're complicit. She's apparently too much for even those small-town conservative groups I just mentioned. Calabro quotes a member of the Park City's Republican women who invited Logan to speak to their Christmas fundraising lunch last December. We had to cut her off because she was going on too long. The message was, the world is on fire, and your kids are being exposed to cats being raped, and elections are stolen, and we've lost our country. The woman added, it's a Christmas lunch, mind you. As the piece concludes, Logan's frequent declarations that nobody owns her may help her feel better about the fact that these days, very few will claim her. Ouch. That line had to sting. Indeed. But one thing you can say about Logan is that unlike so many on the lunacy spoken in polite company circuit, everyone who knows her seems to think she sincerely believes everything she says. There's no grift in Laura Logan's crazy. And that, perhaps, is the saddest thing of all. Because as we have so clearly seen throughout this series, the true believers are more often than not the primary victims of the modern QAnon mindset that, while somewhat in abeyance since Trump left office, continues threatening us from the sidelines of our national politics. One can easily foresee some future, more competent Trump who's able to harness not only the grievances of the MAGA nation, but also the eagerness to believe horrible things about their political opponents and fellow countrymen that is the lifeblood of Q and its attendant insanities. And as we all learned in the COVID era, whatever variant comes next, in spite of our common-sense inoculations, could be a truly paranoid strain. This has been the Paranoid Strain series, QAnon, How We Got Here. We'd love to hear from you. Email us at theparanoidstrain at gmail.com and visit on the web at theparanoidstrain.com. While we technically have a number of social media accounts, including on Twitter or whatever the fuck Musk is calling it this week, at Paranoid Strain, Instagram at The Paranoid Strain, realistically the only one we actually use regularly is our group at Facebook, facebook.com forward slash The Paranoid Strain. While you're there, please ask to join. It's a growing, lively group, and we're always looking for new, friendly folks to sign up. As always, we're grateful for the musical stylings of the Paranoid Strain Orchestra, whose work you can now hear at their own channel on SoundCloud. And we are, of course, impossibly indebted, not only to the dulcet Northern European interjections of Ms. Dana Unicorn, but also to the clutch, lightly drawled Southern interjection of Ms. Elena Pegasus. Daniel Arizona continues to write the songs that make the whole world of Straniacs sing, and Willem UFO draws art so purdy, it makes us kind of weepy. I'm Fearful Jesuit. Thanks for listening. If what you're hearing is the short episode version of this show, look to the RSS feed next week for the complete series in a few huge chunks for those long-form listeners out there. 
Plus, in that version, you can stick around after the theme song for some musical and unicorn-related bonus content. Then we'll be doing research and prep for our next big series, and playing some archival content in the feed to make sure you don't miss us too badly. Also, right before we kick off the next magnum opus, we'll have a little quick hit surprise for you. The next series is going to be about UFOs, aliens, and the whole idea of non-human intelligence. It's called Unidentified, and we can't wait to get started. In the meantime, remember, the world is chaotic, but it's not out to get you. Or at least, not you specifically.